Greetings and hello, all the universe and the ships at sea. <laughs> Here we are for Practice Mechanics, podcast number nine. Niner. Whoever thought we'd make it this far. No. And whoever really cared, you know, as far as that matters. Also Most no people one. would say we should have stopped at four or five or maybe one. Most so people anyway, would say we probably shouldn't have started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my name is Michael Massey. My partner, as always, is Dr. Rob Pape. Um, coming to you from across the universe and to everyone anywhere. Welcome. Welcome all. So today we're keeping with our theme recently of, of guest um, presenters here with us, guest hosts, guests, you know, people that hang Vis- along, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Visitors. Visitors. Um, and today we welcome uh, Dr. Julia Viscomi. Our Hi. Canadian counterpart. Hello. Hi. Hi, Rob. Things? Hi, Dr. Great. Julia. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. You may be wondering why we've asked you here. <laughs> 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 the reality is um, it's about you click a lot of boxes. So <laughs> we want to hit some things we haven't done before. Um, being a female, being a chiropractor, being out of our country. Uh, being in a family practice or a second generation chiropractor, we want to hit on a lot of that stuff and just talk about what your experiences have been compared to things we've encountered before ourselves and we can compare and contrast, I suppose. So uh, let's start straight off by talking about your starting, your starting point. Did you always know you were going to be a chiropractor or did that come later? No, no, that came a little later. So um I always wanted healthcare. I grew up wanting to be a a medical doctor. Um, This is not a story of, well, I didn't get into med school, so I chose chiropractic, so fear not. Uh, No, my my dad's a chiropractor, and he asked me to come work for him one summer when I was uh, going into university. And uh, it wasn't long before I fell head over heels for the profession. And uh, after doing what I thought was a bunch of due diligence, I decided on this career path. So I couldn't wait to finish my undergrad education. I fast-tracked that just so I can get on to chiropractic college. And uh, and here we are today. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I mean, and that's that's what I had always wondered is it was just an assumed thing, you know, that because your dad was a chiropractor that you grew up in that, you grew up around mm-hmm. it and it made sense. But it's interesting to know that you, you didn't take that path initially. No, I, uh, I'm very fortunate considered, or, uh, considering some other people's paths. My, both my parents are in healthcare. My, my mom's a nurse. And I have never, ever felt pressured to go into healthcare as well, ever. Uh, my parents told me to find something I'm passionate about, to work hard, and uh, you know, to choose a career that would make me happy. So really, it wasn't until I had been exposed to it. And you know, it was a lot of fun working for my dad. Um, you know, I started when I was 18 and I never said to him that this was what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to get his, you know, get him excited and then change my mind. But I think he picked up on my excitement for the profession. You know, I was starting to take textbooks home with me. I was asking a lot of questions. Um, and so, so he, he would start inviting me into the treatment room with patient's permission, of course. And I would observe, you know, maybe an initial examination or he teach me how to take reflexes and he used to take his own x-ray. So if, if something interesting came up on a radiograph, he would show me and, you know, explain what that meant clinically. Um, 
So I, I picked up a lot working for him and it just made me that much more passionate about the, uh, about the profession. And so let's see, I guess that was in 2005 and uh, I have never regretted my decision. Not once. Excellent. And just for our listeners, uh, clarification, Julia practices in Canada, Ontario, right? A. So, yes. A. A. So, <laughs> and, and we're finding out um, the practice is a little different depending on what part of the universe you practice in. We talked to a doctor last week who practices in England, and we understood how different that can be. And so what do you know about what we do and the way we do it down here in the lower 50 uh, versus how it's done up there? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how it's done up here. And it really depends uh, on which province you practice in. So I've practiced in both Alberta and Ontario. I started out in Al- on Ontario and then I moved to Alberta and then I'm, I'm now back in Ontario. Um, and even those two provinces are, are quite different from each other. Um, but in Ontario, it really depends on where you practice. So just, you know, a couple of numbers for you. Um, we have 7.2 million people in the greater Toronto area. Um, we have 5,000 chiropractors in active practice in Ontario. 3,057 of them are in the greater Toronto area. And um, our utilization rate is quite high compared to, you know, relative to other states and provinces. Um, as of 2019, we have a utilization rate of 26% here in Ontario. And so that's defined as um, a patient has seen a chiropractor at least once within the last 12 months. So, and, and that's up from three years ago where the utilization rate was 20%. So, you know, the, the future is bright for us chiropractors, but sure. we you know just like any big city, we have a lot of variety. Um, we, uh, some chiropractors do acupuncture. We have all kinds of different technique styles. We have different, you know, maybe instrument assisted soft tissue work, rehab, pregnancy, you know, infants we have tons of variety um we could send patients for x-rays here if if we think it's necessary we cannot send them for any other type of imaging or blood work but we're working on that whereas in alberta you know there are a few more rights there in bc chiropractors can't do acupuncture so it really depends on where you live so down here um we struggle with a utilization rate probably in single digits or low double digits. Do you mm-hmm. have anything to, to share that may be attributable to your success up there for getting better utilization? You know what? I No, actually, I, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I could lie. I can make something up, but I wouldn't do that. Uh, I know when I was first starting out, I think, and please don't quote me on this, but I think the utilization rate was about 7-8%, 7 to 8% in Ontario. So that would have been back in 2012. So we have really, really shot up. I think overall, or overall, there has been a big um, focus on conservative care and, and wellness. I think people are starting to realize that, you know, simply popping a pill or getting surgery are, are not the only two options that people have. Now, they're not bad options. I'm, I'm very pro-medication and surgery when, when appropriate. But I think a lot of people are gravitating more towards conservative care Um and health in general, helpful practices, you know, more exercise, better food. So I would imagine that that's part of what's driving chiropractic. And I would think too, but I'm sorry. Do you think that's patient directed or has there been a, a concerted effort on the part of whatever organizations are in charge there? Mm -hmm. 
to that's, push conservative care? That's a, that's a great question. So, you know, it, it's hard to say here in Ontario, there's really not much advertising um, for chiropractic. I, I know when I lived in Alberta, there was quite a bit there. You would see commercials all the time. You would see stuff at, you know, hockey games, et cetera. Um, but here in Ontario, there, there isn't as much of that. There are a few, you know, I think I've seen a couple of commercials here and there, but not much. So I would say it's more patient, patient driven. That's amazing because you said seven to 8% nine years ago when you got in. I, I think so. Yeah. And 26% now that's mm-hmm. an almost like fourfold increase. Yeah. And that's a 2019. And I, you know, I bet you anything that's gone up even higher during COVID. That's fantastic. I, I'd really love to know what Torontoans are drinking that <laughs> clue, that's clued them into. I mean, this is a very smart way of, you know, this is a forward thinking kind of, of approach uh, mm-hmm. that uh, we just haven't been able to get that sort of traction here in the States. I, I, we, we need to study what you guys are doing because that's incredible. Oh, it's fantastic. I remember reading that stat a few years ago and I actually questioned the veracity of it because it seemed too good to be true, but no, it's, it's confirmed 20, 26%. You've heard us talk, you know, full disclosure, we're all friends. We've known each other for <laughs> several years. So, yeah. um, you've heard us complain about the system down here mm-hmm. uh, as it pertains to payment and mm-hmm. Medicare and insurance and that kind of thing. And you guys don't really engage much of that up there. Tell us a little bit about what the everyday, day-to-day practice is like, both clinically and financially, maybe. Sure. Well, speaking for myself, um, so I I work three days a week, and I've got two toddlers who take up quite a bit of my energy as well. So I I work three days a week, and I see a wide variety of patients. I have a very general family practice, which I really, really enjoy. Um, You know, I have a lot of the typical postural chronic, you know, sprains and strains. I've got, you know, really challenging adhesive capsulitis in the knee right now. I've had, you know, I've had back pain that I've suspected it's cancer causing it. And obviously I'm not managing them. I refer out. I've had all kinds of different things come into the office and I really like that. The only patient population I will not treat um, is infants. And that's just comfort level, personal preference. Um, but yeah, on a day to day, I mean, I'll, I'll see a variety of patients. Most of them have in some, at least insurance coverage. So, you know, 80% of their visit will be covered. Um, quite a few will also opt to pay out of pocket. We, I see a lot of, uh, workers comp patients as well in motor vehicle accidents, sports injuries, um, but, you know, and then I, I'm also, I was recently elected to uh, my provincial regulatory bodies council. So we occasionally will have council meetings and, you know, our focus is to regulate the profession in the public's best interest. So there are different committees um, that I, that I uh, am a part of, um, and we are responsible for making decisions to protect the public, which has been very, very rewarding. Um, I also am an examiner for um, Part C. So we have three national board exams. Um, Part C is a practical exam. So I've been an examiner, uh, you know, doing that for quite some time as well. So I kind of dabble in all kinds of different things. But primary practice is definitely my my main focus. So, Julia, 
we're a very dude heavy podcast here as you can probably <laughs> probably tell if you've if you've listened to us at all um and at least here in the states i don't know about in canada but it is also a a male dominated profession mm-hmm. um women in chiropractic are the exception rather than the rule here in the states uh, it's getting better but it's you know it's a, it's a slow go how is how is practice different for you than maybe what you see for you you've been practicing with your dad now mm-hmm. for for 9 years and you and you watched him practice when you were working with him and growing up is your as a woman how is practice different for you what do you have to take into account that your dad can just totally take for granted what what kind of things right. do you have to focus on well, I can only speak about my experiences. I've never been a man, of course, but based on my observations, I'll, I'll tell yes. you the difference. I think there are a lot of them. Sure. Um, so number one, a huge, uh, a huge struggle for me is balancing work and family life. And of course, this isn't to say that men are never primary caregivers of their children. Um, certainly in this day and age, we're seeing more of that, which is great. But in my family, I'm the primary caregiver. So it's difficult because um, I've always struggled with not being able to give 100% to work or 100% to my family. There has to be compromise. And uh, I've since accepted that that's perfectly okay. And it doesn't mean that I'm not doing an exceptional job at both. But I'm responsible for drop off at daycare. I'm responsible for pickup most times, which means that the very popular uh, patient time slots, you know, early mornings and late evenings, Um, I I don't have as many of those as I would like. Those are really good practice building times for patients. And, you know, I'm oftentimes trying to be home with my family, you know, picking them up, making dinner, putting them to bed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Practicing while I was pregnant was very interesting, (laughs) I will say. So I've been pregnant four times. I've had uh, two miscarriages, but all four first trimesters were very challenging for me. I had a lot of morning sickness and I was really, really exhausted. So patients were really sweet and very understanding. I told them from the get-go that I was pregnant, you know, hey, I know I'm not smiling at you, but let me tell you why. (laughs) Um, They were very understanding and actually very protective of me as this belly grew bigger and bigger. You know, they'd always look very concerned whenever I'd be setting them up for a side posture adjustment. Oh, don't hurt your baby. Don't hurt your baby. It was very sweet. But I got through it. I practiced what like very late into my third trimester with with no problems whatsoever. So that was great. Um, Family issues aside, um, I will say that there are another, you know, there are other few differences. So I got my license when I was 25 and I'm 5'2 and 120 pounds. <laughs> and so um, there were a number of times where I'd have new patients, especially in the beginning, who would walk in and say, wait, you're Dr. Viscomi? And they'd look at me skeptically. And uh, that never offended me. I understand. You know, they're there possibly in pain or they're skeptical of the profession in general. And they've got someone who looks like a high school student, you know, a wannabe doctor telling, <laughs> telling them that their health is in your hands. So I, I understand that that could be a little bit frightening, but um, I, I always did gain the respect or I guess earn the respect of patients shortly within, you know, maybe the first 10 minutes. Um, as soon as I would start to talk and as I would start to treat them, 
they would uh, they would feel more comfortable. Uh, another thing that I have to talk about is um, there have been you know a handful of instances, if not more, where I have completely accidentally inappropriately touched a patient. And I think it's happened to all of us, you know, maybe you're set somebody, you're setting somebody up for treatment mm -hmm. and you accidentally graze their breast or, you know, your hand is a little bit too, too low on their bum. And uh, I've always immediately apologized and I've documented and uh, take full ownership. I've never had any problems as far as I know from patients. I think they could recognize that it was accidental, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest. A part of me wonders if I were a male practitioner, if I would have received the same reaction from patients, if they would have been as accepting or as understanding. Mm -hmm. And um, lastly, I will say that um, I have had quite a few, too many patients um, act inappropriately towards me. Mm. Um, you know, maybe they've inappropriately touched me or made inappropriate remarks, um, you know, males doing this in particular. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think I deal with it correctly and I set them straight and I'm not afraid to discharge patients immediately and pass them off to somebody else if they continue. But it's, it's disappointing when you think that your patients value you because of the exceptional care that you're giving them. And now you're wondering, well, are they only coming in to see me because they have a crush on me? You know what I mean? Right. So right. Um, that happens quite a bit. I, I think that happens, you know, for males and females within the profession and really within any profession that involves manual care. Like, you know, we're putting our hands on people and we're being empathetic and we're being caring and we are giving them relief. And I think that that's, a perfect recipe for a lot of transference to happen. So um, I think that's something that people need to talk about for sure. I, following up on that, mm -hmm. can you maybe give some of our, you know, we have some newer docs who listen to our podcast. Can you maybe talk to, uh, talk to how you manage these scenarios when they come up? Mm -hmm. how, what, what is, what is, how do you deal with these things to diffuse them and, and to get past them? Well, I think it really depends on the uh, particular situation, but I will say in general, I'm, I'm very professional with patients, but I'm also very easygoing. So we're often joking back and forth. Um, but whenever a patient says or does something inappropriately, the jokes stop. I immediately tell them to sit up so I could look them, you know, eye to eye. And I question them, you know, what was that? Basically giving them a chance to backtrack and apologize or, you know, act all innocent that nothing had happened. But I asked them, you know, what was that? And if they don't say anything, I'll say that was very inappropriate. I don't appreciate that. I'm going to be documenting that in your chart. If that happens one more time, you will then have to see a different chiropractor. If it does happen a second time, I discharge them immediately. I refuse to see them. And, you know, it, it's my duty to, to um, give them options for who else to see. But patients typically know that the only other chiropractor in the office is my dad. <laughs> my dad is short, but he has a temper. And so uh, I, I'm sure he is the last person that they would like to see. You know, they, he, he'd read through the notes and the chart and say, wait a second, <laughs> you know, read what happened at the last visit. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure that would be an uncomfortable situation for patients, but no, I, I have no problem dealing with uncomfortable situations and uh, I, I deal with them very speedily. 
I, I like that you're very direct. Very direct. No room for interpretation mm -hmm. or for you know, misinterpretation, rather. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I appreciate that you give them an opportunity to explain themselves and to do better going forward. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then you have a zero tolerance policy from there. That's wonderful. And I, I, hope, I hope you young chiropractors who are, who are listening to this take that to heart, learn from that. That's, that's something you're going to need. Believe me. Mm -hmm. We have the right to, I mean, our care should be focused around the patient's needs. Like we, they, I often say to patients, you are hiring me, not the other way around. Patients need to be happy with me, of but course. that doesn't mean that that gives them to right to, the right to make me feel uncomfortable. So I have no problem standing up for myself. You know, I, I, everyone loves a busy, successful practice, but I'm not desperate enough to put up with, you know, inappropriate behavior from my patients. So I will not hesitate to show them the door. Right on. I love that. You earlier mentioned um, stature mm -hmm. and being, being a small person. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the accommodations you have to make to deal with larger people. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll start by saying in, uh, in school, so I went to CMCC and we learned how to adjust uh, on, on adjustable tables, you know, adjustable height. And so you can imagine my dismay when I started to work with my dad and I realized <laughs> that that would be a thing of the past and that these tables had one set height and it was uh, mid thigh for me. So it was a learning curve, but I actually have come to very much prefer it. Um, I find I spare my back this way, but I've learned a lot of tricks. Um, my, my dad, again, to go back to my dad, he's taught me a lot. Um, you know, neck adjustments are very simple. Mid-back adjustments are very simple. Low-back adjustments, it took some time for me to get used to. Um, in fact, I would say I was slower than the rest of my peers in schools to, to become proficient at them. Um, but there are different things that I do. So for instance, instead of doing a typical lumbar roll for side posture lumbar adjustments, I will do kind of like a, a bunion pull or pull, sorry. So I use, I rely on my forearm. I rely on, on my thighs a lot, my legs, um, just to spare my shoulder. Um, I will also admit uh, that I wear heels all day, every day at work <laughs> without any discomfort. So I'll wear three and a half to four inch heels just to get some leverage over the patients. And that really helps me out quite a bit. And uh, when I was pregnant and I had an extra 30 pounds on me, that really helped me out as well too. Um, but, you know, being short and being little, I, I find that it forces you to be very specific with your setup. Mm -hmm. and with your because if you have excellent technique, it really doesn't take much effort to, um, to achieve cavitation. Yep. Um, from thrust, right? Like force equals mass times acceleration. I'm, I'm quite fast as well. So um, patients are typical. People call me ninja all the time at work. They're they're very shocked when I when I adjust them for the first time because they're surprised and I'm able to get releases when they're, you know, double or even triple my size. But it's completely manageable. Um, you know, you just and I, I also have to credit one of my supervising clinicians during internship, uh, Dr. Cam Brody. He showed us how to set up patients for a side posture lumbar adjustment. And I do that with every single patient, every single side posture adjustment to this day. And it's really allowed me to be somewhat lazy because my setup technique is so precise. So 
Um, it's all about setup and technique. Absolutely. Ninja. Ninja. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I can say from my experience that some of the roughest, most aggressive adjustments I've gotten are from small women, you know, and I, and I think part of it's just an accommodation thing. Who did uh, you upset? <laughs> it's just it's whose path I crossed, you know. Girlfriends, do you have? <laughs> oh, so, um, <laughs> let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you've been practicing nine years. You are on the mm -hmm. college now. Um, in that short period of time, you've seen and dealt with a lot. Uh, talk a little bit about negative trends you're seeing in our profession are there some there that, that glare at you that, that concern you at this point yes and and this is of course all a matter of opinion i can only you know speak for myself but uh, there are a few um i feel like we're losing a bit of our cultural authority um i love that there are a variety of ways that a manual therapist can get a patient to feel better and uh, my practice practice is solely not just spinal manipulation. There are a number of different things I do for every single patient, every single patient visit. Um, but I feel like if you were to ask any member of the public, what does a chiropractor do? They would probably say they adjust, they adjust bones, they crack joints, they whatever layman's terms they use. Um, but we are known for spinal manipulation. And I'm starting to see less and less of that within the profession. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to remember that it works. It works. It sets us apart. Nobody is more skilled at it than we are. And as long as a or as long as a patient is a candidate for spinal manipulation or for manipulation in general, and most of the time they are, I will manipulate them. And and I think we also see we're starting to see a lot of gun shy practitioners. Um, perhaps they're worried that you know maybe they don't want to adjust anyone's neck. Or maybe if they have a really acute patient come in, they will refuse to adjust their low back. And I, I actually find, you know, the very, very acute, very angry um, discopathy cases that come in fare very well with adjustment very early on. And as long as you're gentle and you explain what you're about to do before you do it and you're watching their facial expressions as you're setting up, there is no reason why you can't adjust them. So that's that's number one. Um, number two, I find that people are in general moving away from diagnosis. We have to remember that we are primary healthcare practitioners. We have doctor title, you know, with our profession and the onus is on us to deliver and to explain diagnoses to our patients. And I'm finding that a lot of chiropractors are technicians more than they are doctors. And if you don't, if you cannot um, arrive at the appropriate diagnosis because you haven't completed a really thorough history and physical examination, then you have no idea what kind of treatment plan to prescribe to a patient. You know, maybe they will be flexion intolerant. Maybe maybe they'll be extension intolerant. Maybe maybe they have something that is not musculoskeletal at all, right? Maybe they have a kidney infection. We have to diagnose and. Um, to whenever I have a new patient, if they have seen a chiropractor in the past, I always ask them, what was the diagnosis they gave you? And 95% of the time, they have no idea. Now, I don't know if they were given a diagnosis and they forget, but 
that's not good enough to me. I want patients to be able to explain to me, yeah, they told me it was, you know, costal vertebral syndrome, or they told me that this joint wasn't articulating properly. And then I had a muscle spasm as a result. And then I was walking differently as a result. They have to know what's going on. Um, and so you can't just treat the symptoms. You have to have a diagnosis. That's number two. Um, and number three, I remember when I was a school in, in school, and I think there is still this stigma associated with the profession. Once you see a chiropractor, you have to go for life. And I know that that is something a lot of us are trying to move away from, uh, because of course there is a such thing as too much chiropractic, right? Too much of a good thing. Um, but what I've noticed is that the younger generation of chiropractors, and I, I lump myself in with them, um, I find we're, we're working so hard to eradicate that stigma that we've kind of, the pendulum has, has swung too far in the other direction. And we are discharging people before we should. Yep. So when it comes to prescribing a treatment plan, I always tell patients, you know, th the fact of the matter is the duration of the treatment plan depends on a lot of factors. What's the diagnosis? Are there any comorbidities? What's the age of the patient? Have they felt this before? What are their expectations? Are they expecting you to completely get rid of their pain or dysfunction? Um, and then they'll be off on their merry way and you'll never see them again. Or do they want you to then prevent recurrence, possible recurrence in the future? There, there are all kinds of factors at play. And so sometimes a longer, more intense treatment plan is appropriate. And there is nothing to be ashamed, you know, about that or with that. And sometimes a shorter treatment plan is appropriate. Um, but whatever treatment plan you're prescribing, you know, you need to make sure that you are not getting rid of your patient too soon, because instead of being happy that you're saving them a few bucks, they're going to be upset about the little bit of money they did already spend, and they're not where they want to be. Yeah. So we need to care for our patients and we need to prescribe a treatment plan, not at all taking into consideration the financial aspect, the financial investment, because that's a very personal decision that the patient will make on their own. But we have to prescribe what is best for them clinically. And if that means it's twice a week for six weeks and then we reevaluate, then so be it. There is nothing unfortunate about that if you are going to relieve a patient of their pain. And often you are their last resort and they will be very happy that you've done so in six weeks. Amen. Yep. Amen. Awesome. Does everybody, so, can you, so everybody who's listening right now, do you now know why we wanted Julia on this on this podcast? Do you, know, <laughs> do you now understand the baller level status of Dr. Julia Viscomi? Thanks, Rob. I'll transfer you the money for that little plug. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be looking at my Venmo. Uh, all right. Uh, jokes aside, um, we talked about the negative trends. Let's talk about the positive trends. What are the good things? I mean, you talked about utilization rate in Ontario. Mm -hmm. That's a positive trend. What else, what, what else are you seeing? So I think there are a lot of great trends, actually. I think in general, we and I touched on this before, we're seeing an increase in the importance of conservative care, wellness care. Um, you know, I, I forgot to mention, of the people, you know, uh, of the 26% of people, or sorry, utilization rate being 26%, of those people polled, 25% of them had zero muscle or joint pain. 
and they were going to see a chiropractor. So a quarter of the people who are seeing a chiropractor every year in Ontario are seeing them without a chief complaint of muscle or joint pain. That's huge. And I don't think that is something that would have happened years ago. I think mm-hmm. people are very focused on maintaining their current health. I think they're focused on trying to prevent possible negative outcomes in the future. And, uh, and I think that's fantastic. And I, I think another trend is active care. So we all know that there are two parts of the treatment plan. The two coexist, right? There's passive care where the patient's job is to come in, lie down on the table, and we do all the work. And then there's the active care component. And that can be, you know, as simple as go home and ice this area or go home and do the stretch or here's your rehab plan, your progressive, you know, rehab plan, individualized rehab plan I've created for you or, you know, workplace ergonomics, whatever. There's always, there should always be a passive care component and an active care component. And usually in the beginning of the treatment plan, you know, the bigger component will be that passive care component. But then as a patient starts to improve and you should be reevaluating them on each visit, that active care component should um, become a bigger piece of the puzzle. And it should also change as we go along. Your visits should look different weeks and weeks into the treatment plan. So I think chiropractors are doing a fantastic job of focusing a lot more on active care than what we used to do. And and I think that's something that we should be really proud of. I mean, if you look at other health professions, um, for example, and and this is not at all to criticize medicine. Um, You know, I, I, there is definitely a place for medical doctors and for family doctors, and I have a great relationship with them. But often when somebody goes to see their medical doctor, well, the treatment plan is take this antibiotic for two weeks, you know, finish it even if your symptoms are gone. Well, that, that's pretty simple. So we really shine at making patients an active participant in their recovery. Mm-hmm. We talk, we have a, uh, a conversation with them where they're an active patient. This is your diagnosis. This is what I recommend for you. These are your alternatives. Um, this is what I expect will happen. Do you have any questions or concerns for me? They, we encourage questions. We encourage them to be an active participant. And we encourage them to take ownership of their health and of their recovery by giving them things to do at home. I often say to patients, you know, I have to make sure you know what you're doing when you're not in this office because you're only in here for 15 minutes. That's a whole lot of time you're going to be without me. So I need to make sure you know how to properly take care of yourself. So active care is number two. And I touched on the third thing. I think we are excellent at patient education. Um, We want to make sure that patients understand exactly what's going on. We make sure they don't sign the consent form until after an appropriate report of findings instead of, you know, as part of their intake forms as soon as they walk into the office. Um, So knowledge is power. I think we are a generation where, for better or for worse, we question our healthcare practitioners a lot more. We hold them to a higher standard. And uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm I'm happy to answer any questions they have. Um, And I'm I'm glad that they're advocating for themselves. I, you know, I often say no one's going to care about you more than you, even me. So um, I think that's another really positive trend that I'm seeing in the profession. Very cool. I want to, I want to ask um, a follow-up in there. You said um, something that surprised me actually, because I don't hear this from a lot of chiropractors. You said that 
we should be reevaluating them on every visit. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know the term reevaluation in healthcare, it, it's a bit of a technical term, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I mean it informally. Now, of course, here in Ontario, uh, at least every 24 visits or sooner, if they haven't been in in a while, we need to repeat some of the testing um, that we did on their initial visit to measure where they are, their progression, right. their progression. Um, so that would be considered a reevaluation, you know, when it when it comes to technical terminology. But um, when I was talking about reevaluation, I meant that a lot more informally. Your simple soap notes, right? Every time a patient comes in, I always ask them, I don't just ask, how are you feeling? I'll say, how did you feel right after your last treatment? What about that night? What about the next day? How do you feel today? Um, so I ask a lot of questions, you know, how were you sleeping? Do you, how are your headaches? Um, and I'll do, you know, for a great example is straight leg raise, SLR. Well, you know, on my last visit, I saw I could get you to 45 degrees before we started to get some sciatica. Look at this today. We're at 60 degrees before I'm even starting to do nerve flossing. That is really valuable clinical information. Very, very prognostic stuff. So mm-hmm. um, reavals don't have to be formal. They don't have to be intimidating. They don't have to be seen as time suckers. Mm-hmm. As soon as you walk in the door and you take a look at your patient, you're reevaluating them. How did they walk into the room? Do they look happy? Do they look exhausted? Do they look upset? How do they look getting onto the table? All of that information, that passive information is really valuable to us and should um, dictate how that treatment is going to go that day. All their status. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll throw you the wild card that we try and throw everybody at the very end of the thing and ask you if you could change one thing about the profession, what would you change? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there were more consistency within the profession. It, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult balance to strike. I love the amount of variety we have in the profession. I love that we have all different types of practitioners seeing all different kinds of populations. And I love that there are all different types of technique that have been um, shown to work, you know, whether through research, anecdotally, whatever. Um, But at the same time, too much variety will lead to confusion. It It leads to confusion within our profession. It leads to confusion interprofessionally. And most importantly, perhaps, it leads to confusion, you know, felt by the public. Um, you should be able to ask 50 people, what does, what will a chiropractor do if you go to their office? And they should all have a very, a somewhat similar answer. Um, instead, what we see is we have some practitioners. I mean, we don't even have consistency in the definition of chiropractic, if you think about it. I mean, officially we do, but some chiropractors will argue that, that chiropractic is solely a mechanical musculoskeletal conservative healthcare. Um, Some will go beyond that and say, well, no, 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 we can do more than that. We can treat um, other conditions, you know, affecting the viscera, um, you know, involving the central nervous system. We can, you know, the list is endless. So, and then you've got the terminology, our favorite subluxation. And I don't mean, you know, a partial dislocation, you know, as, as uh, those in medicine will say, we have our own, you know, term subluxation, we chiropractors, and we do not have a clear definition. Does it mean simply a joint restriction? 
You know, does it mean mechanically the joint is just not moving? It's, it's a little bit restricted. Does it mean that we've got this, you know, we hear the term nerve interference, um, you know, innate intelligence. We've got all this terminology and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of sad that if I have a patient traveling, I'll say to them, tell me where you're going and I will find a chiropractor for you should you need one. I don't necessarily feel good about them finding one on their own because I have no idea <laughs> they're going to walk in to see, you know, so I really, really wish for more consistency. I think it would do the profession good. There is a huge demand for us. And as long as we stay within our scope of practice and we refer out when needed, I think we can do really, really well. Glad you touched on that because that came up in my practice multiple times just this week mm -hmm. uh, where patients would come in. For instance, I had a new patient come in early this week who had been around the country. He's, his job is moving around the country. And for different reasons, he sought the care of different chiropractors and he believes in it and he, he likes it and that, that kind of thing. But he was so frustrated when he got to me and I actually worked through and got, like you talked about before, got to the diagnosis, you know, because he said, nobody ever has told me what's wrong with me for one thing or what I can do on my own to help get this okay. And mm -hmm. he said, I've been to multiple chiropractic offices and they don't resemble each other whatsoever in the way that, that I'm evaluated in the way that I'm treated in the language okay. that they use. And, and I felt his pain, man, because even people I know, you know, I say, well, you know, if you're moving somewhere, you're vacation somewhere, I know that guy, I know that guy and I'll send them down there or whatever if they need to go and they'll call back and go, it doesn't, I didn't recognize anything they did. <laughs> it doesn't look anything like what you do. You know, and it's so frustrating for both of us. Well, you know, am I going to go to a chiropractor and I'll be in an open concept room with eight other people and I'll, you know, I'll have the same seven adjustments every single time and be on my merry way. Or am I going to spend 15 minutes in a private room with a chiropractor or am I going to be there for an hour, you know, and, and do and go through rehab with them as well. There, there is so much variety and people are confused. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's I'm confused. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a, I had a new patient today who, uh, who's he told me that he has seen multiple chiropractors over the years, um, that most of them have been the pop up, crack, crack, neck, mid back, low back. You know the the flying seven kind of stuff. He said, he said he's seen a number over the years. They're all slightly different, but most of them have done this very general. Four minutes on the table, crack, 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 crack. He said that the best thing he ever experienced in chiropractic was what was called best technique. Have you heard of best technique, Julia? A long time ago. I think when I was in yeah. school, I remember what it is. Me neither. Like, I think it's like some sort of somatic, psychosomatic okay. kind of technique, if, if I remember correctly, because I heard of this like 20 some odd years ago. And, and he told me this and he looked at me and he goes, it's okay. You don't have to do best technique. <laughs> He's like, I've heard what I've heard about what you do. I, I'm, I'm here for you. And uh, it, it, it's just all these, it, it, every well, intake is about finding out where they've been, who they've seen, what they've experienced, what their experience was and what they're looking for now. Because if you don't find that out up front, we might, we might all be on the wrong page together. So a, a classic example is uh, whenever I have a new patient, one of the questions I ask is actually, we'll pretend you're my, my new patient. Okay, Rob, I'll say, uh, have you seen a chiropractor in the past? I have. Okay. And uh, how long were you going to see him? 
um, I was going to see him um, off and on for different issues that would come up. I'd go in and see him whenever I, I had an issue. And usually it would be two or three visits and it would take care of what I needed. Okay, yeah, because I would ask how often. And what did the chiropractor do with you? Do you remember what kind of techniques? Um, there were um, these pads he put on my back that would make mm -hmm. my muscles sort of like twitch and spasm. And then there was this heating pad. And then he'd come in and crack, 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 crack. And did you find it helped you? It did. It did. It so, helped me a lot. Yeah. So that's, that's really helpful to ask those questions, not just, have you seen a chiropractor? I want to know how long they were going, how often they were going for, yep. did they feel relief? Did they not feel relief? Why did mm -hmm. they stop going to that practitioner? What are their expectations yes. from me or with yes. me? So get a lot of information just by, you know, questioning. And I always say to a patient at the, you know, at, at the uh, onset, I'll say, look, I have a lot of questions for you. Some of them might seem a little bit strange, but I promise they serve a purpose and you don't have to answer anything you don't want to. And feel free to jump in if you have any questions for me as well. And, you know, and I'll say, don't worry. Usually I know what's going on after the first couple of questions have been answered, but if I'm not really thorough, um, that's when things can be missed and, and that's dangerous territory. So, um, yeah. And if, yeah, I guess I have nothing more to add about that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's gold though. I mean, because mm -hmm. these disparate experiences that folks have had that, that you were speaking to, we have to know what they were. Mm -hmm. We have to know where they've been, who they've seen and what it was about. We have right. to. I, I had one patient who uh, I asked, you know, have you been to a chiropractor before? Oh yes. Many years ago. Okay. Perfect. This was in, I, I remember this patient. It was in my, within my first month of practice. Okay. And so all I asked was, have you seen a chiropractor before? Yes, many years ago. Great. So in my head, I'm thinking, they know exactly what's about to happen. Well, anyway, I'm explaining after I, you know, during the report of findings and I tell them, you know, I, I told her her diagnosis and uh, I said specifically, this is how I plan on treating you. And as soon as I said the word adjust, she's like, what do you mean adjust? And I said, well, it's, you know, what you had in the past, right? You might hear some I explained what adjustments are. And she's like, that is not what I had in the past. And I said, well, can you describe what you had? She says, well, I just kind of laid on a table. He didn't really touch me, but um, he was looking for these like waves. And I'm thinking, oh, network. Friend mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. diversified. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough. It's just not enough to ask if you've been to a chiropractor. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So 100%. 100%. Well, we we'll probably need to put a bow on this thing. Um, we've spent our allotted hour, um, and it's been great. Uh, Julie, I want to appreci appreciate you for coming because uh, everything you've given us has been very insightful. It's been very informative. Um, it's been very entertaining. Uh, and for someone who's been nine years in practice, you have really exhibited some very veteran-type attributes, and I want to commend you for that. That's fantastic. Well, it's the gray hair. That goes along with that. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very much for having me, guys. It's, it's been a pleasure. Anything? Yeah. No, I think this is gold. I think this is this is the kind of stuff that look, if you're just out out of out of school, uh in in nine years, if if you have a handle on one third of what Julia is describing today, you're doing okay. Uh 
this is a very high bar that she sets and it's it's a good bar to reach for try to jump try to jump this high folks because where julia is hanging out is it's it's where you want to go if if you're a new chiropractor oh thank you very much <laughs> so um, I guess we'll close here. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that uh, we do have a website, practice-mechanics.com. We are still doing our COVID, uh, because there is still COVID, our COVID special for $29 <laughs> a month, no obligation. You can kick the tire for a month and leave. You can hang around and see what's new every month, and yeah. like a lot of people have done. Uh, but join, we you. Uh, join practice mechanics, people. Yeah, that, that was the less subtle message that I was trying I, to convey. I to like, <laughs> come on. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. It's such so, good value. It is such insanely good value. Twenty nine bucks a month for what what Practice Mechanics offers. Join Practice Mechanics. Check us out. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We got a website. Um, we're on America Online. We're on CompuServe. We're on what is that thing where <laughs> we used to be on? And you played music and all that kind of stuff. I forgot which one. Which service is that, Rob? We're old enough to know this. Spotify. No oh, man, I was way before that. Anyway, so we're not on any of those things. I was just kidding. Um, so join us. Uh, thank you all for making it this far into the podcast if you're still here. And uh, we look forward to giving you another one. Thanks again, Julia. Thanks, Rob. Hope you guys have a great evening. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.